0: March 27th, 1939. You shut your books, exit your dorm, and you meet your classmates on the quad. It's a special night. It's the eve of the first ever National College Basketball Tournament, and it's being hosted at your school. Fellow fans pack the stands, making a sea of purple and white. The band strikes up the fight song. The two finalists, Ohio State and Oregon, take the court. But they're not your school. They didn't make it this year. Not this year, you think. But they'll make it next year. There have been 77 next years. Northwestern University has never made the NCAA tournament. At least, not yet. This is The Narrative. I'm Harry Swartout. If you're listening to this before March 12, 2017, the Northwestern Wildcats might as well be called Schrodinger's Cats. They are in a state between life and death, waiting for Selection Sunday to see if they make the program's first NCAA tournament. NU is potentially the latest in a group of monumental streak stoppers in the past calendar year. It may seem like destiny, but miracle turnarounds have a formula, and Northwestern is just the latest team to crack the winning code. But before Northwestern could implement the formula and claw its way out of the basement, they had to hit rock bottom. Northwestern is one of just five original D1 schools and the only school in a Power 5 conference to have never made the NCAA tournament. But Northwestern's basketball program hasn't always been bad. In fact, those kids in the 1930s had every reason to believe that their team would make the tourney. And soon.
1: Northwestern... Was not a good team in general through the history of, of its basketball experience until you get to the, the coaching tenure of a guy named Arthur Lomborg, or informally to his friends, Dutch Lomborg.
0: That's Northwestern University archivist Kevin Leonard.
1: Lomborg came here from Kansas. He had played basketball, he had at a few other institutions, and then arrived at Northwestern and took over the team. Or 1927, um, 1928 they have a, a a good record, 12 and 5. 1929, 12 and 5. 1930, not as good, 9 and 8. And then in the in the great season of 1930-31, Lonborg's team went 16 and 1, um, and they were the putative champion, national champions.
0: Just eight years removed from a national championship, and with a dynamic head coach, it seemed that Northwestern would make the tournament, and soon. But in 1940, just one year after they hosted the tournament, Northwestern made a decision that would change the course of not only
1: basketball,
0: but all athletics at the school. Well,
1: there, there was a problem, however, that was going to develop, and that was the um, university needed the land under its gymnasium for expansion of academic programs. So the Patton Gym was torn down after 1939, And Northwestern did not have an on-campus home for its basketball program until uh, McGaw Hall was constructed in the 1950s. So for um, 15 or so years, Northwestern was playing its basketball games at the local high school, Evanston Township High School. Um, And then sometimes for key games or double-header games with, with another university, would play at the Chicago Stadium downtown. But that was a problem that diminished interest in the game, both from the standpoint of fans and attendance and enthusiasm in, in backing Northwestern and also in in terms of recruiting. It's kinda of, kinda of difficult to to get secure good talent if the talent knows that you're playing your home games in a in a high school gym and not in a facility that is going to match up with peer institutions.
0: Forcing their basketball team to play in a high school gym was a reflection of Northwestern's attitude towards sports beginning in the 40s. It wasn't so much academics came first and athletics second, but more like a complete apathy towards
1: sports. But well, what happened? Yeah, I would say Northwestern's priorities have have centered on, on academics, and they remain so. And... Some in past administrations and members of the faculty felt that athletic success was a mark not to be envied. It was, it was actually something to be feared because perhaps doing well in, in athletics undermines your academic purpose. We make a very strong argument that that's, that's not true, but for a while Northwestern seemed to operate on, on that theory and during that period of time. You get seasons in basketball where the, the one loss record is, is not very good at all.
0: It wasn't just the basketball team either. While the Hoops team has finished better than fifth in the Big Ten just four times since joining the conference in 1953, NU football set the longest collegiate losing streak, dropping 34 games in a row in the 1970s. The baseball team has won the conference just twice, since 1896. All NU athletics suffered, And losing for that long can do some bad things to your head.
2: I know that everybody knows what it feels like to lose at something.
0: That's Dr. Denise Johnson, psychological consultant to the New York Giants.
2: But you know, when we're talking about college and professional athletes you would have to multiply those feelings by a thousand. Everywhere they go, people want to talk about the failure. People want to give them advice about the failure. And even when people don't speak about it, oftentimes the athletes talk to me about the fact that they can sense the disappointment on other people's faces or they feel like they're walking under a black cloud or, or like they're being covered by a wet blanket because the reminders of their failure are everywhere. And the worst thing about that is when you experience that kind of loss over and over and over again, it begins to make you doubt yourself and your abilities and it makes you doubt your team and your team's abilities.
0: The dangerous cocktail of self-doubt and program ambivalence severely curtailed recruiting at Northwestern. The less able players and their lack of on-court success led to a dearth of Northwestern alumni at the highest levels of basketball.
1: And Billy McKinney had a had a significant career in the NBA as a player and then as a uh, uh, front office executive and broadcaster. Um golly um lots of of well lots not not relative to say ucla but plenty of people have gone pro there are a number of northwestern alumni who are playing in in leagues overseas um what names come to mind joe rucklick um i guess the, the 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 Point I may be reinforcing is that it's I'm I'm, I'm trying to think and, and not coming up with a lot of names, um, so it is not a a feeder program has not been a feeder program for the NBA.
0: With the players, coaches, school, and NBA all doubting the team, it didn't take long for the fans to start doubting too. The Northwestern Wildcats have played basketball at Welsh Ryan Arena since 1983, and the venue lets the fans get right up next to the players, which can be beneficial.
3: I enjoy Welsh Ryan. I think uh, obviously Welsh Ryan's unique um, in compare, especially in comparison to the other gyms in the Big Ten.
0: That's NU's all-time leading scorer, John Sherna
3: I think it made it made for a fun atmosphere. The fans were close to the floor, and it's uh, I mean it would often get compared to uh, like a nice uh, to a high school gym, but I think uh, you know when we needed needed the support, the fans were always fans were there and uh, cheering their hearts out.
0: This is the part of the program where I explain, for full disclosure, that I am an alumnus of Northwestern. And even I'll admit, the students had an interesting relationship with the team. The fans still supported and showed up to games. They just didn't expect much. And the negativity fed into itself.
2: What we begin to see is a vicious cycle because... The sadness, the worry, the anxiety, the upset, and the pressure that they feel, those things work together to, in turn, further impair performance.
0: There will always be some players that break out of the loop. Like John Sherna, who played between 2009 and 2012. Sherna lets it fly and he hits a three that was almost NBA range. He had a formula to bounce back from the losses.
3: You know, after after the game, it's move on, move on to the next one, and try and uh, try and go out and win that one. There's not a whole lot of time to reflect too much. Obviously, you watch film from the previous game and see what you can work on and then you have a I I suppose we're all creatures of habit so you just want to stick to your routines and just put in the put in the time and effort and uh, knowing if you put put the work in that it'll it'll eventually pay off and you just have to keep a keep a clear mind and stay focused
0: but for most players and coaches losing quagmires are hard to pull out of In fact, desperate players and coaches' efforts to shake themselves out of a slump are often detrimental to the team's structure and psyche. Here's Dr. Johnson again.
2: Most players, coaches, and athletic administration, they seem to focus more on the physical aspects of the problem rather than having a truly mind-body approach to the problem. So, So this is what I see them do. A lot of times they'll try to get more athletically gifted players, They'll have the players spend more time studying plays and, and have the players spend more time getting reps at practice. They might have the players do more things like watching film more. Uh, they might have the players focus more on doing more weightlifting or doing more running and track. Um, they might focus on the players eating better and sleeping better. They, they might spend more time reviewing their mistakes and trying to make corrections. And then another method that they use is that a lot of times they will scapegoat certain players, coaches, or administrators, and they believe that if they just get rid of those people, that everything on the team will be all right again. And then sometimes you also see teams use superstitious behavior. Like some people will think that if they wear certain socks or certain underwear, or, or if they do certain rituals before the game, that those kinds of things are going to actually help them do better. If you need
0: a refresher on the dangers of superstitious thinking, you might look about 20 minutes south of Northwestern at the Chicago Cubs.
1: So do you think if you take Murphy, the nanny goat, Yeah, the nanny goat, It'll is. turn
0: everything around this series? Oh, sure. That's why we take the goat there to see the Cubs win the World Series there. One of the most heavily cursed teams in sports it took the Cubbies 108 years to break out of their losing cycle. Their turnaround, however, is the perfect blueprint to break out of the downward spiral. It's a three-step plan. First, the Cubs got new ownership in 2009 in the Ricketts family. The Ricketts were not afraid to name the team's goal. The fact is that the Cubs quest for a World Series is the greatest mission in all of sport. And to be even a little part of that, when we deliver that World Series title to Cubs fans um, will be incredible. Second, they brought improving commodities at President of Baseball Operations and Manager to change the culture of the club. Our new President of Baseball Operations, Theo Epstein. Uh, we're very fortunate to welcome uh, one of the very best managers in baseball, Joe man Third, they began a renovation project to improve the fan environment at Wrigley Field and get the fans reinvolved with the team. And you don't need me to tell you it worked.
3: Makes
2: the play. It's over.
0: Northwestern is beginning to follow the path their southern neighbors laid out. In the 90s, the university hired athletics-friendly staff. For a while, they were reluctant to name their goal, or even say tournament but they got there in the end. Now, at the beginning of the season, did you guys lay out some team goals? And and what were they?
3: I don't know that we necessarily, I think, said I, I, no, I can't.
0: I guess another question is, did you guys ever think that this was your year to go to the tournament? Or did you ever explicitly say, like, that was a goal that you guys had?
3: With media and everyone, it's obviously the question that always, always gets brought up and, uh gets asked so i think it's it was always i suppose the elephant in the room but i think we i think we did a good job of staying focused and uh trying to trying to trying to reach that goal i suppose
0: once the leadership is on board and the goal is set the team needs a change of mentality
2: so let's say that a player makes a mistake either in a game or a practice, and and the mistake can be something simple like the player moved right instead of moving left in whatever play that they're going to do. A lot of times what you will see the player do is that the next time he goes back out into practice or back out into the field, he'll say to himself under his breath, don't go right, don't go right, don't go right. You know, the brain really doesn't process the word don't very well. So what the brain tends to do is it it drops the word don't from don't move right. And all it hears is go right, go right, go right. So the player will go back on the field telling himself don't move right, don't move right. And then he will be surprised when he finds himself continuing to do the same mistake that he's trying to correct. But the reason why is because he doesn't understand how the mind and body work and he's continuing to use strategies that don't translate well to the body being able to do something different. And I'm even gonna say to be more specific, they need to say to themselves exactly what they need to see themselves do to be able to win. Because every time they say what they want to see, that's going to ground that reality into the body in terms of what the body is going to do, rather than reminding the body of the mistake.
0: NU once again followed the Cubs' model by hiring the right coach to change the culture in the locker rooms. It's my
2: absolute pleasure to introduce to you for the first time the 24th head basketball coach in Northwestern's history, Chris Collins. Mm -hmm.
0: Since Coach Chris Collins took over for the men's basketball team in 2013, Northwestern has improved each season, and he's turning all kinds of negatives into positives. Here's Kevin Leonard again.
1: It's a significant academic program here, and so the coaches have complained that it's just too tough to get the athletes. Northwestern is playing with a handicap relative to other other programs. Now, now these days, uh, the coaches here will will tell you that they are looking at this from the other end, and they are trying to to use Northwestern's academic position as a way of appealing to recruits is something that distinguishes the university to those students who are really good at academics and really good at sports um, in that they feel that they can recruit athletes who can play more up-tempo game and, and sometimes above the rim type of a game and um, this year it looks like things are coming into place that, that reinforce the notion the the notions that the coaches have that they can do it here.
0: The players are buying into the school's pitch too. Academics have always been a big draw.
3: I chose Northwestern because it presented obviously the challenge of basketball in terms of playing in the Big Ten and competing night in and night out against the best competition. And it also provided one of the best educations in the world. The combination of the two is too hard to, was too good to pass up.
0: But now, the pitch can include not just playing in the Big Ten, but winning, too. Here's current Northwestern forward Vic Law. Well, to be honest, this is the game that uh,
3: I committed here for. This is uh, when I committed,
0: you know, and everybody said,
3: why are you choosing Northwestern? You know, they have no culture. There's nothing. There's no basketball presence there. And uh, to play in a game like this that I don't think any Northwestern team has really played in, a game so big as this, that really meant everything. I mean, how can you not be excited to play in this game?
0: The third step, giving back to the fans to re-grab their attention, began the day after NU's regular season ended. Well, Shrine Arena will undergo a $110 million renovation and be ready by 2018. But the biggest way Northwestern is giving back to their fans is by winning. The players are using their underdog role to their advantage, taking some Big Ten teams by surprise. They're surprising everyone.
2: The underdog can use the other team's perception of them to their advantage. If the underdog team spends the time, they're going to inherently get better. And then what they can also do is remain humble and don't alert everybody to the fact that they've improved. And then what they can do is when they actually get out on the court with the other team and the other team begins to underestimate them, then the underdog has the ability to show what they can do I've seen it happen time and time and time again you know when you look at sports there usually are no great athletes that don't have an adversity story and 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 the thing to me that makes an athlete great is in the face of adversity do they have the resources and skills and the patience to try to do the things that are necessary to execute a comeback because when they do That's the stuff that sports legends are made of.
3: Knows that a win for Northwestern likely secures their first NCAA tournament berth in the history of the program. Tap horn.
1: Long inbound. Harden with the catch.
0: On March 1st, Northwestern won in outstanding fashion. It beat perennial Big Ten powerhouse Michigan. The sold-out home crowd at Well Arena stormed the court. It was a miracle play. The kind of thing that happens against Northwestern, not for them. One more
1: look, and a play that goes down in Northwestern history. Great call by Coach Chris Collins and his teammate
0: they've broken away from their losing mentality built on almost 80 years of neglect in just three proven steps. That's why this year might be the year the cats finally go dancing. Special thanks for this week's episode goes out to Dr. Denise Johnson, John Sherna, and Kevin Leonard and the Northwestern University Archives. If you like the podcast, subscribe and give us a review. But more importantly, tell a friend. The best way to spread the word is by telling someone you know. You can tweet about the show using the hashtag SINarrative. I'm at Swartout on Twitter. And as always, for more on Northwestern, the tournament, and all narratives moving the world of sports, log on to SI.com.